0: Hello and welcome back to the Balanced Garden podcast. I'm your host, Tiger Lily Raphael, and this episode, In Between, explores some of the transitions happening inside and outside as we reach the spring equinox. I'll be taking stock of these changing times and asking how they might have affected us after a year in lockdown. How has the viewpoint from which we see the world shifted after witnessing a full annual cycle without so many of the toings and froings, diversions and distractions that we usually have? And having to find our creature comforts closer to home, what's shown itself to be valuable as we've had to define and refine our more basic needs? Just some of the things I'm pondering over in this month's podcast But don't worry, it's not all about the C word. I'm also talking to singer, counsellor, mother and generally amazing woman, Denise Sherwood. You'll hear about the making of her debut album, This Road, which came out in September 2020, and her creative journey and career as a mental health advocate and counsellor in the music industry. There's a lot in there which can't really be summed up in a snappy list, so I suggest you stick around to part two and get stuck in with us. Before we get going though, I want to share a couple of nice things from Balance Gardens friends and partners. This Saturday the 27th of March, we're supporting Be The Change Festival, a brand new online yoga and social justice event. The lineup of which includes movement, meditation, and sound workshops for all ages and abilities, and inspiring debates on diversity, inclusion, and activism from a panel of expert speakers and practitioners. You can join in for the whole day or just some parts of the programme, which runs from 9am to 6pm. Balanced Garden is offering a 30% discount on tickets at £30 for the full festival or £15 for a single stage. Funds raised will be going to Student Action for Refugees and all the details about the lineup and how to book can be found at balancegarden.co.uk forward workshops. I also want to tell you about Wicker Woman. A Small New Home Run Business by Elle Daniels, who was our guest on the podcast a couple of months ago. She's been making hand-poured soy wax essential oil candles with delicious self-made scents for hope, intimacy and sacred. You can buy them on Etsy and this link will be included alongside everything else featured in the podcast in the show notes which we publish on the blogcast. You can try Elle's Invigorating Lunchtime Flow and many of our other online yoga classes for the first time for just one pound. For the full timetable and first class discount codes, head to balancegarden.co.uk forward slash yoga. It was this time last year when the trees burst out and blossom in stark contrast to our sudden, solitary confinement. The birds and bees mingled freely while we were reluctantly forced to stay in our bubbles with only a few people and places on which our well-being depended. During the daily hour of sanctioned exercise, I discovered a deep solace in the other living things around me, from which I didn't have to stay a safe distance away. And that led me to launch this podcast a few months later, half a year ago, at Autumn Equinox. So here we remain, after one of the darkest winters many of us have weathered, undoubtedly changed in countless ways by many different experiences and challenges that we likely didn't expect and still cannot foresee. Wondering how to keep walking the agonizingly unknown path ahead with a roadmap that may or may not show us the way and tested again by this change in seasons, which is recognized by Chinese medicine as being the toughest on the body the time of year when COVID-19 first swept the world away. But we've finally reached that turning point when the light starts to overtake the darkness, the yellow trumpets of daffodils announce the return of new life and colour, and the birds are singing louder each day, not as one of my favourite sayings goes, because they have an answer, but because they have a song. And we may be feeling almost ready, albeit a little bit nervous, to take what we have gathered during our time in hibernation outside and spring back into life above ground. Yet, as Uncle Mark writes to us from Haddon Cop's farm Dorset, winter still clings tight to her hold. Only the boldest blackthorn has ventured forth into blossom. The trees remain winter bare. No butterflies have braved the wing. Most of our ewes stand tranquilly chewing the cud, awaiting their time to lamb, and the cutting winds that once gave this month its name threatened still to bring sleet and hail. The Old English name for March was Slider, meaning loud, from the noise of the wind, and this word persisted in Anglo-Saxon as lide until as late as the 19th century in some parts of the UK. March comes in like a lion and goes out like a lamb, the traditional proverb goes. The harsh force of winter is weighed against the mild gentleness of spring as the earth carries us on her journey back to the biannual point of balance when the sun crosses the equator from south to north. This place of celestial symmetry was recognised as bringing balance to all the opposing forces of the natural world dark and light, masculine and feminine, inner and outer life. The equinoxes bring counterpoise to the year, holding the annual cycle in equilibrium. They are the pause between breaths, the momentary suspension of the pendulum before movement begins again. Thank you, Mark Sparrow, as always, for the wonderful words and seasonal inspiration. The year used to begin on the spring equinox in the Julian and Hindu calendars and some historians believe that this is where April Fool's Day traditions originated around 1582 when France switched to the Gregorian calendar. People who were slow to catch up with the new year being on January the 1st and continued to celebrate it in the last week of March through to April the 1st would have paper fish put on their backs and get called a poisson d'avril, an April fish after a young, easily caught fish. April Fool's day, falling around the first of spring, might also have been to do with the changing, unpredictable weather that we would usually experience at this time of year. And as we dare to hope that warmer days are on their way and we might be able to start sharing more of them with each other again, we reflect on what has indeed been an extremely changeable and unpredictable year. In conversation with me next is singer, counsellor, mother and many other magical parts combined, Denise Sherwood, who I very, very much enjoyed chatting to on Spring Equinox. I hope you find it as helpful to listen back to as I did speaking with her.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward. Yes, I feel optimistic. I've also, I suddenly feel like a lot older. I've gathered things to mean that people treat people really badly. Um, There's also a lot of beauty and, and, and goodness and, I I will always look forward to that. And I embrace that in this moment. Um, But i got to, we've got to take action. We've got to deal with things. We've got to confront the truth of the other sides. And I think also as a woman, there's a lot coming up for me and feeling judged about that and using my voice and uh, people don't want to go there because people are already feeling so tense. They don't want to talk about the difficult things, but these conversations I believe really need to, be had so it also feels like a time for great strength and great bravery and it's almost like there's a call in this age of so much information and so much being exposed to really go within and be honest with the self you know with with what's going on in here our own prejudice our own judgment our own biases you know that the truth that we live through and then to to forgive ourselves for that and then to share that it feels like so much is going on collectively so yeah individually a bit of numbness and also um a great determination kind of rising to to try and do something of some sort of freaking use
0: yeah I think that really reflects the seasonal transition that we're going through with like the winter being very inward looking time but because of also being so inside our own little bubbles, a lot has bubbled up and there's not been the usual distraction from it. So whether we've wanted to or not, um, we've really had to sit with those difficult truths and confront them. Um, There's not been that escape. And I, like you and also other people I've been talking to, at this point, really desperately, are needing an outlet for it, like some way of taking the transformation outside, um, feels like we're all getting ready to, to kind of take what we've, what we've learned in this time and, and now act on it and activate that energy that's been stuck inside and starting to stagnate, perhaps there's, there's a lot of frustration and tension and grief that's had nowhere to go and while there are spaces online that can feel a little bit like an outlet or you think might give you that sense of action or reflect back what you're feeling at you it's um it's really it's static and doesn't give us the actual human connection that we're missing and are so hardwired to seek out you shared in a recent post about your fear of judgment as a woman and that you feel more comfortable and proud now as the woman you are and have found an increased sense of acceptance and peace which is really great to hear and in the lyrics to your song fairy tales which you're gonna read us after this interview. I found a lot of resonance with my own fears and expectations as a woman and I was just wondering how you came to that place um, which is probably a huge question.
1: It's ongoing. I'm not you know I' still, I'm still afraid of judgment. I think that uh, it's important to realize um, that. You know, I think for a long time, we're kind of going through and you're younger as well, especially the teenage period. Um, you're going through so much and you're not necessarily aware of what you're going through. And, you you know, I was looking for so much outside validation all the time. And I've worked a lot with teenagers and I see that as a really common theme. And as a woman, I didn't really know what it meant by consent, you know, like my and when I say consent, yes, sexually, but but also uh, boundaries, what I was consenting to allowing other people, not just men, to to have of me, to take from me, to, you know, I was exposing too much a lot of the time because I was seeking love and I wasn't keeping enough sacred and I was really lost uh, because I was constantly serving out my, you know, there were parts of me everywhere. And I, I was so anxious all the time and so fearful because I, I'd, I'd get a moment validation. It'd work out. Someone liked me, fitted in with that group, got a boyfriend. He liked me. That worked out for a while, but nothing was rooted. Nothing was stable. Nothing felt safe. Nothing. It was really fleeting all the time. So yeah, okay. Drinking, tried drugs. You know, sex. Um, I stayed in relationships. Because I thought I should, but I wasn't feeling necessarily connected because I wasn't connected to myself. So nothing was a true uh, or healthy reflection. Because so it couldn't be because I wasn't in a healthy relationship with myself. And I think if I look at it now, there was such a lack of there's such a lack of education in in those kinds of things for women and for men, but really for women. And you know consent and say no, and and, and the importance of considering whilst whilst becoming sexually active, what's safe and how you feel and what the meaning of love is to you. And I ended up in some really dangerous situations and they really scarred me. And when I started admitting that and seeing that because it was all falling apart, it was so painful. And I luckily had some some other women that were much older than me um, who were in my life, in the music industry actually, and they're not many, um, but there was a couple and they really came through um, because I opened up and then it was just this shift. And, and one, especially, was mentoring me a lot who's gone through to hell and back in her own life. Um, so she wasn't afraid of anything that I was bringing and she really began to guide me. You know, my mother and I weren't close in the way that I, got, I had with her. Maybe that's culture and my mother's Japanese. You know, there were just different things she couldn't understand that I was going through as a girl growing up in London, taking drugs, pretty wild, very loud, very outspoken, the opposite of the kind of idea of what a Japanese woman should be. And so we were battling. So this other woman came in and I was able very much to feel acceptance for who I was because I was sharing with her honestly. I wasn't trying to get her to approve of me as an an elder um or as any as an outsider I just was like this is happening I can't hold it in anymore help me and it started me on a journey becoming a mentor so for me my you know I started looking after young people I started working in a I ended up working in a suicide unit which is quite reflective of how I probably was feeling because I was that desperate and I was working with lots of young women and young men um, at the extreme end who'd lost themselves so much in this kind of identity war um, that they ended up there. And as much as everyone goes, God, how did you do it? It was really, it was very powerful and very humbling. And then I, I carried on, I, I studied psychotherapy and then all of that, I was forced to look at myself. I was forced to look at myself truthfully. And it was 10 year period of breaking down really and, and, and healing and living with chronic anxiety, chronic depression, working through that because I loathed myself as a woman. I did not, as a human, I did not feel comfortable. I was embarrassed when I was too loud. I was ashamed when I was too quiet. I didn't feel good in my body. I I never felt beautiful. I still struggle with that. I still struggle with how much I should put out, but there is now an acceptance um, that I feel the amount that I do, that I'm good and I'm kind, but I'm also fierce. And I also have a lot of anger and it's worthy and it's justified and doesn't mean I'm a bad person. And I can also be very soft and very sweet um, and doesn't mean anyone's gonna fuck with me. You know, and that has taken a long time to allow myself to be all these parts as a woman and not loathe myself in the process because I couldn't fit in, Uh, you know. um, So the growing piece is, is, is the acceptance of what I, feel and uh who I am every day and and I I get great strength from being honest about it and you know sitting with other women and them sharing with me I I never allowed that before it was all kind of uh it was just full of fear so there's not the fear anymore I don't feel afraid to let women in or to be honest about who I am
0: Wow, thank you um, for sharing that with us all. That's really inspiring. I think most people can probably relate to the feelings you've experienced on some level. I know I certainly can. And, And with your creative work and your identity as a musician... You released your debut album, This Road, in September 2020, which you made with your father, the producer, Adrian Sherwood. And we have a similar background there too. We're both daughters of dub producers and musicians. We grew up in busy houses full of musicians. And I'm curious about how you found your voice and why you released this record when you did um how did that kind of tie in with your with your journey as a woman and and in life Um,
1: yeah I mean it's completely tied in because um you know I ended up living with my dad we've spoken about this and he ended up raising me so you know I was in a house full of men and, and you know My day job is as a therapist in the music industry and I'm about to speak about this next week it's a really important topic women you know in the industry not not being seen enough not having enough space um, as within most most industries but um, yeah in in the world that that I lived in um, there was the studio and um, there were women but and a couple that I mentioned who went on to mentor me but actually the majority were men so I was making this album from really young. I toured with my dad because I, you know, I enjoyed singing, but I was always really nervous because of, of this identity thing. I didn't, I, I wasn't sure with myself thinking, oh yeah, I'm the shit, I'm going to get on stage. And I, I don't, I, I've actually quite like just singing folk, but it was like a, a sound system, you know, <laughs> so that's sort of kind of like really loud and hard to sing over if you don't have a really big voice yeah. and a big yeah. attitude you know and the other women in it generally it's very competitive the kind of dance hall, kind of reggae sound system women can be intimidating you know and really powerful on stage I was not that and so I was terrified every time I got on stage and <clears throat> we started making this album and you know my dad was like oh you've got a reggae voice you know you've got to do reggae that was you know his dream for me or his vision and being the producer and very used to being in control and managing everything um, you know bless him with the best intentions that's the way he wanted to steer it for me so we started making kind of reggae stuff and it never felt comfortable but like I said I was used to going along yeah okay what do you want me to do yeah okay you know with him and everybody in different ways whether I was being You know, I was very loud still then often, but I was still going along with what everybody else wanted me to do. And so now and then I'd have the opportunity to try. I'd say, I've I've written something. Can I try it? You know, and I studied um, classical piano when I was a kid and I, you know, I kind of gave it up, but I'd like try little bits with chords and he got me like an MP3. I had a a drum machine. I was trying to do my own thing, but it never really got anywhere. And I play it and I, I, you know, I was also surrounded by great musicians, you know, really good musicians. And the, And I felt this pressure. Um, and and quite often it was like, yeah, it's nice, but it's a good idea, but we're not going to go with it. I think you should cover this. And that kept happening. And I ended up doing lots of covers. Other people were writing for me. And it just was like this war for 17 years actually that's what it ended up being until I released it not feeling like it was mine and wanting to be thankful for all the studio time he gave me all the musicians that came in and played god it must have amounted to quite a lot you know financially and also time wise there was so much that went into recording I mean we've got hundreds of tracks it was very hard to select what we did in the end And all the while he's going, look, you know, you're not going to get on the stage. You're never happy. What should we do? And so the reason why I released it in the end is because it was dragging me down. It became this energetic like uh, torture. It it was psychologically uh, holding me back, and I was getting older and older. And everyone would go, "When are you going to release the album?" And I was like, "I don't, I don't really like it." And I'd play it to friends, and they'd go, "This isn't you." To this day, you know, people are like, it's great. And you've started to come through in it, you know, and again, I'm holding up space for other people, but it resonates what's in my heart. I love the album. I really do. I'm proud of it. I got to the point where I wrote a lot on it in the end. Um, I had a lot of say on the production. I I definitely got involved more and more as I came into my own power as a woman and stood in that room with ten men and was like, no, that's not what I want. Very thankful. Not being a diva. I'm just saying this is what, because that's what happens to him. And, oh, you're a diva because you know what you want. No one's listening to me. So I've had to raise my voice with full love. Thank you. But this is how I'd like for it to go. So that started to happen. And it took a lot um, to kind of steer it. And we got there in the end. And he was great to work with. And it's, it's been brill- a, a brilliant experience. And I'm proud of it. But it's been, it was a difficult experience too. I mean, I don't know how else to to say. And now I'm trying to create a bit more and you know for fun and we'll see what happens. It's I love singing, I love writing. So I'm Mm -hmm. very I'm very glad that I had the opportunity. I don't want to sound spoiled at all. I'm really thankful for the 17 years of recording. I just really struggled to get get out what I felt was in my heart and what I really wanted to say without feeling a bit intimidated or stuck by all the men around me on the project, even though I love them too. You know, it 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 was it was a hard balance to strike.
0: Yeah, it sounds it sounds tricky, (laughs) but massive congratulations for even trying to get out what's in your heart and and sharing that with the world. It's it's a really brave thing to do, especially in such a masculine genre industry recording environment and just world in general I definitely recognize a lot of my experience also growing up in and working in that world um in the music industry and and of wanting to please everyone all the time like from a very young age and not really learning to think about or ask for what I needed um, or wanted so massive props to you for for getting there and 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 asking and and making yourself heard but I didn't realize it was such a long time coming um, your album I I read in the mojo mag review what they wrote about you having turned in, turned down a role in the slits and touring with the pogues and that you like chose to go to uni instead and you were biding your time and waiting till you were ready
1: yeah it I did you know I loved Ari she's I was very close with Ari from the slits and um I was very honored when she asked me to join but again watching her on stage I was thinking I can't I was so they got so much energy and so I couldn't really see my place in the slits and at that time I thought I needed to go and study and sort my head out because I was so anxious and I'd been partying so much already by then I needed to sort myself out and the same with the pogues I mean Shane you know I know well and I, I uh, it was uh, again a great opportunity but I was scared if I could pull it off and you know there's a lot of drugs and a lot of booze around him And actually, my dad stepped in and and also said, I don't think this is wise. So, you know, it wasn't meant to be. And it was quite the the interviews that did come up also, which kind of annoyed me a bit, very much focused on me then choosing the path of being a mother. And Mm. it was kind of like, well, I became a mum at 33. I was singing at 15. I could have released that album at 18. Yeah, I became a mother and and that was in a few things, you know, the Sherwood dynasty and I wanted to get away from that also. And it was like, oh, she chose to not go that way because she, she wanted to become a mother basically, or she became a mother. And they were completely separate. had nothing to do with my journey singing or finishing that album, nothing to do with it. And I found Mm. that really interesting that they knew I was a mum and they kind of used that in a couple of interviews as as that that was my calling rather than the music. And uh why can't it be all things and they're not linked at all?
0: No, it's it's not like those desires and, and motivations are mutually exclusive at all and um not like doesn't sound like yeah, you you were in the position of having to choose one or the other. Um, But I guess there are also the real challenges of of touring and performing, which, as research has shown, do tend to fall hardest on the mother, which is also common in in many other industries. Um, But it's clear that, yeah, this wasn't the crossroads you came to at at this point in your music career. Um, But it also doesn't sound like touring would have been the best thing for you at that time. Um, we you know we've both worked in the music industry and and been part of of conversations there about mental health in fact the last time we saw each other um, was at a focus group with musicians on talking about mental health when I was working at the charity Help Musicians and you were there to support as a therapist working in the music industry which was great um really helpful so so for you having grown up in that world and witnessed firsthand the the kinds of struggles that musicians can face you know due to well lots of things but a very competitive anxiety inducing masculine culture where substance abuse is quite quite common and quite socially acceptable you've ended up taking another career path through which you really can help people. And, um, yeah, has that helped you as well?
1: Yeah, massively. I, I I took so much from that day, you know, that we last saw each other. It was really moving to be able to sit and uh, listen. And it was just amazing how much, you know, and it is in my work, um, how much need there is um, for for musicians to speak about uh, their mental health and their well-being and I think why it's helped me is there was obviously so much need in my household (laughs) alone uh, and the the you know the the things that I saw constantly um, around me you know people that were clearly very wounded you know very vulnerable um, going through a lot all the time and yet it wasn't cool You know that there really was that 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 kind of feeling, especially because it's so macho and so masculine to to say I can't, you know, I I can't cope, I can't do another night of drinking and doing coke or you know whatever, or I need to go to bed, or I can't do a whole night on the bus. You just got you just got to do it. You just got to manage, and you just got to get on with it. And um, yeah, I saw a lot of that, and in and in my work, I get to support people and say do you know what there is a space this is necessary for you to be a musician to to, to manage to work in the industry and stay well we, we we have to talk about your mental health and your well-being the culture in the industry has to change it's shifting there's still a long way to go it is cool to speak about your mental health and your well-being it's necessary especially when you're creating and you're drawing on so much that is personal um it's not healthy to do that all the time for it. You can't just switch off. It's ridiculous if you break it down. And we've glorified so many musicians uh, who are tortured by their feelings. And I, I remember when I was studying addiction, somebody said, you know, addiction is very much a feeling disease. And that really stuck with me because like you describe, the industry is addictive, yes, in a substance sense, but also in the allure of it. You know, you can't get away from it. You know, as much as I've, I've complained or I've addressed how difficult it was. Some of the best times in my life, the most intoxicating in every sense, the most alive I've ever felt has been around musicians and in the industry. And it feels like there's no other job you want to do. There's so much need to talk about all of that. And clearly, from the research out, Musicians UK did, um, you know, people have been killing themselves because they can't deal with the pressure. yet. Everyone around goes, Oh, you work in music, you don't have a real job, you know. Oh, you're so lucky wish I could do that yes it's great and also it's really really hard and messed up in many ways and twisted and it can be abusive and it can be exploitative it can be dark as much as it can be the best place in the world to be so in my work speaking about it and working with artists weekly you know counseling yeah selfishly it's been massively healing because I always saw as a little girl and growing up and as an adult I was like wow the wanting to help my own family has now been extended and that professionally I have these boundaries to support people and to to give artists the voice to say they're struggling I mean that's that's great you know it's a good thing.
0: Yeah it sounds like selfishness in the best possible sense of the word you know selfish to help other people whilst helping yourself i mean i think we have to do things that do help ourselves and you know we're often driven to help others of it some some people are more altruistic than others i i definitely over did it on on helping others because you know, it has to serve you too. And, and if it's not serving you it generally isn't serving others. So yeah, that's, that sounds like a, a a good balance that you've found that you, that with your, with your career and your, and your own creative work. Um, but you know, you didn't. You almost didn't release an album because of the emotional pressures of the industry, and didn't tour because you knew how hard it could be and dangerous. Which I think is a huge testament to how grounded you are. Um, for a lot of people, it would have been an escape or an outlet, um, and need of just found a way of, of numbing or blasting those anxieties with other feelings, um, rather than opting out or asking for help. So, so having that balance now, you know, you can do music, but it doesn't have to be the, the only thing that you do, um, alongside everything else. Like, have you been counseling musicians still through the pandemic
1: Yeah, I've been the busiest I've ever been. Yeah, I think people thought, oh, God, Council for the music industry, are you working? Help Musicians UK, PRS, you know, so much funding, you know, went into supporting musicians. And I worked with lots of musicians throughout the pandemic who were given funding support. You know, some artists also that still have huge deals and were doing very well throughout the pandemic, you know, having huge hits. They weren't touring, but still there's a lot of money being made. So yeah, very busy, been great need. Lots of musicians have been really struggling um, to create, you know, feeling like, oh, this is the perfect opportunity. Yeah, you've got all this time inside and not being able to do anything. And loss of identity, uh, which I've seen, especially in the classical world. Mm-hmm. Classically <clears throat> trained musicians have such a, I mean, I'm gonna say this, a brutal training Uh, That you you know it's kind of beaten into you to constantly be practicing, constantly be you know working. So for especially for the classical musicians that I've been working with, uh, identity loss is just dramatic. I mean, everyone in the music industry has been struggling with a sense of identity, but yeah, I've I've seen it to different degrees depending on the kind of background that you you come from and what you've been working in. It is a cause really close to my heart. I lost a lot of people, lots when I was a kid as well who were around us through um, you know depression Um, and it's hard to say it's hard to define causality it's not necessarily the music industry's fault you know it may be a, a very creative person was born with issues or had a malady and they were drawn to the industry for that reason but it's still worthy to discuss the industry's responsibility when they sign an artist or what we can do collectively to get people to to talk about this stuff more, um, and especially to bring in support uh, when artists are first signed—you know, really young artists—to kind of prepare them for the journey that could be ahead.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, I but I was I was at one of these mental health in the music industry conferences, and I think you were at this one too, but you might have left by then. Um, and someone asked the question should you not sign an artist because they're not emotionally resilient? And I just thought, who is emotionally resilient enough for that? I mean, we're not born with it. Resilience is what we have to cultivate because of challenges. Um, you can't just take them away. And, you know, because they're not resilient enough, they can't, they can't face challenges. It unless you want to go and live in a hole, which as we all know from a year in lockdown, that's got its own challenges too. So so it's obviously got to be an ongoing, personal mixed approach that continues throughout someone's career and life also in a broader sense that, you know, applies to, to kind of everyone in their own context,
1: right? As with any human being, or you know, I I'm not saying therapy is the answer to everything. Very far from. And I could go on that on that for hours and hours and hours because some therapy I think is more detrimental than useful. Um, but I do think we we all need in different ways mentors, uh, space to speak, um, constant support networks and growing them and f- exploring self-work, reflective work so that we can be resilient. It, it, it's a constant process. And um, that's not what I'm talking about when I'm speaking about creating solutions for people in the industry. There, there isn't a quick fix to being a human being. We're gonna struggle inevitably. Let's accept that and let's explore ways in which we can, we can support in that journey. You know, creating isn't an easy game, especially when you're trying to write of something of of some true substance. So, you know, how do we how do we take care of our artists so that we can continue to enjoy music?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And this applies to every industry, really, and and wider culture in general, which, you know, brings its own set of challenges and, and lifestyles. It's just that we've both grown up and worked in music specifically, um, be- and, and and probably because we understood that that world and mindset. Um, but it's definitely applicable to everyone, I think. Where where we all need more space and time to speak honestly and tend to our our health and both mental and physical you know, been living through a health crisis, which has put a huge emphasis and spotlight on what was already a silent crisis or chronic condition for many people, you know, whether loneliness, anxiety, depression, burnout, you know, and the physical toll that that all can take. So, so I'm with you on the need for, yeah, more space better emotional literacy more acceptance and you know basically becoming like cool to talk about these things it's a very toxic masculine environment i think that has created those conditions where it's not okay to struggle or have feelings that that could perhaps be perceived as weakness where you know, we have to man up and keep calm and carry on constantly. But I do think that has been gradually changing and has shifted a lot in the last year because, well, we we couldn't carry on as usual.
1: Definitely definitely it is. And I think we, we can do... I think it's uncomfortable for people too. And also you don't want to take up too much space and be socially... Inappropriate and bring everyone down, that kind of thing. You know, where 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 do I start really opening up about the depths of the struggle in my soul? And then listen and, you know, we're all just figuring it out. We're all these these social beings that have been conditioned on so many levels, men, poor men, not being allowed to speak about how they feel or being, yeah. you know, cussed and put down and killed. It's like you're hurt. We all need to release that and express that so that we're not rigid and coping. And yet yeah, this kind of very, you just push on through and you deal with it. And it's like, and 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 the fear of judgment definitely comes for me. Where it's like, I know it's healthy to be my authentic feeling self, but I know still in many places, you know, that, there's judgment about that because it's like I'm a weirdo or I'm inappropriate or Mm. and too much or you I think you need some help or you know um or, or making people feel really uncomfortable because then they're confronted or there's an option or a possibility for them to share and people maybe don't feel safe with that and also I'm very aware of of honoring that too so you know it's it's I guess finding our unique like you said spaces and tribe you know the people that it just kind of flows with it does exist
0: yes it it does and you know it it isn't always easy to find but but it definitely does exist and and I guess that brings us back to you know where we are now in the year. with all this need for human connection, having built up over the winter and in lockdown, us um, going, you know, having been in hibernation, um, extra hibernation, and preparing now to get back into the sun and air, like you know, the seeds that are being planted uh, at the moment, and and space is perhaps hopefully freed up where you know the constant movement and commute and pressures of work were all consuming you know not that work hasn't still been consuming in in new and different ways and um other pressures on space haven't appeared as well as a result of, of these conditions we've been living in but but things have changed and and will continue to change, I guess, as we move through this point in time, you know, individually and collectively. I wanted to share this poem with you um, that I read in an article about Spring Equinox just before our call, which I thought was fitting because of your album title, This Road, and also the nature of the conversation, I... <laughs> thought we might have um because of where we're at in the year and stuff it's it's called your way um by olav Haug and it's trans this is translation by robin fulton no one has marked out the road you are to take out in the unknown out in the blue this is your road only you will take it and there's no turning back and you haven't marked your road either and the wind smooths out your tracks on desolate hills
1: yeah and i think it kind of it it there's something are uh, the desolate hills there's something quite haunting about it too because it and there's no turning back you know mm. but it's also very um true to lots of things we've been saying you know it that Yes, we're winter mo- winters, the seasons, the transitions, the inevitable highs and lows. Um, you know, being human is um a wild trip and we have these choices and we we have to own our journey and we each have our, our own individual paths and we each have a right to take up some space and to speak up and to contribute and to share and also to hold space for other people and recognize that they have their unique journeys. It's kind of simple obvious stuff but these transitions and we all have seasons of of you know in our hearts and and it's always moving so I don't want to say the masculine stifles that but the idea that we can we can organize this 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 beingness is is madness that there needs to be more I believe you know freedom to just say the messiness of it all and and I think in that way we have more resilience, it's a contradiction, you know, it, it resilience comes from an ex, uh, from maybe accepting that there isn't necessarily control, we just have to be true to what we feel and trust um, that the right people will hold us in it, and, and request that they do, um, otherwise uh, we, we don't need to stay near them. I think the f- female attributes that are so powerful that need to be more in business and just the world in general is the you know, we collaborate, we empathise so deeply. We, we have so much power and ability to, to manage and sustain and grow, you know, that the seasons remind me of that too. You know, if we, if we were more in tuned and collaborating better, we wouldn't be in this mess. You know, may, maybe it's the final point before I go because I've got to go and feed my son. It is um i don't know what the final point is I... <laughs>
0: <laughs> well that's the point i think um there is no final point you know like the seasons show us there are only cycles and constant change um it's a very masculine attribute to look for the end goal you know the idea of always succeeding and never failing and that that kind of mindset um but just to clarify you know men and women are both masculine and feminine we all have these both of these um attributes and we we've just nurtured these masculine qualities in both sexes particularly to survive in the patriarchal world that has dominated and suppressed the feminine qualities in all of us in both men and women, um, which, you know, that's, that's the basis of our, of our culture. And, and we perpetrate with that, that, that trend in our culture. So as long as we're afraid of being imperfect and not being good enough to succeed, then we'll never make that record. Or sing that song or <laughs> try at anything, so then we won't show our true selves for fear of being judged and uh, found wanting. so whether it's fear of being an imperfect man or woman or mother or father or just not fitting into any of those ideas, um they're not helpful and and they those expectations only close this space, so. I believe we have to keep opening it up.
1: Yeah, the, I think in the world of um, mental health and wellbeing, especially there's there's such a demand for kind of solutions. So give me five things that uh, you you could suggest that will help people through the pandemic. And I say, sorry, and I always say, uh, and actually one woman got quite irritated. She tried to feed it to me off screen. She had to say, well, you know, let's talk about diet and sleep. I said yeah Yeah. okay journaling yeah breathing all very useful but I think it's far more useful isn't it to have a conversation like we've had and go well you know what we're not going to try and get this perfectly right like you didn't come with a you know it's brilliant because let's just create a space to unravel what what you know to, to allow ourselves to talk about what's there uh without judgment um and and in and in turn that gives permission to, to other for other people to do the same thing. So I don't know what's going on. I've got more peace than I did five years ago. I hope to have a bit more peace in five more years. I don't know if I'm doing a great job of being a mother, being a wife, or these freaking roles I've taken on. I never thought I would. Um <laughs> at being a person at my job. Sometimes I think I'm absolutely smashing it. I'm very proud mm. of myself. Sometimes I look at the world and I think, what the heck is going on it makes no sense Other times i think wow i get it it's not supposed to make sense it's a moment it's a journey it's about not knowing and i'm all right with it
0: good well i feel a lot more all right with it after that conversation thank you so much for talking with me denise and um coming on the Balanced garden podcast A photo of Denise and links to her music and social media pages are all in the blogcast, as are numbers for the support services from Help Musicians and Music Support, where musicians and those who work with them can find a listening ear and info about other help. Now here's Denise again, reading some of the lyrics from her song, Fairy Tales.
1: When I was just a little girl, my mother told me fairy tales of magic kingdoms long ago in wonderlands so far away. Forests where the flowers sang a sweet enchanting melody, where all the creatures of the land, they lived in perfect harmony. They lived a beauty pure and fair with rosy cheeks and golden hair. Her faith in love, it kept her strong, and so she lived without a care. I hung off every word she spoke and dreamt of how that place would be if I could wear those pretty shoes and how that dress would look on me. I'm still waiting for my happy ending. I'm still waiting for my happy ending.
0: It's clearer than ever that life is not a fairy tale. There are no happy endings, because there are no endings. As much as we like to write our own stories, and as helpful as that can be in revealing what we care about, it's often tempting to put all the emphasis on how the story ends. But it's the middle part when the actual story gets told, between the beginning and the end. That's the bit we call life. It's in between here and there, winter and summer, in the spring where the growth happens. It's not always easy to give things time to grow. Pre-pandemic, I never had enough time. Yet since last March 23rd, sometimes it's felt as though there's been far too much of it. For me, not for everyone, but neither is ideal. And whilst I've wanted to make as much of the time there is, putting the usual pandemic pressures on myself to record that podcast, write that book, talk for two hours with that friend, I still catch myself wishing it away, waiting for the lockdown to end, making tentative plans for the not-too-far future. It's natural to look forward to. Yet with those intentions is always some kind of aspiration to attain something closer to perfection, something that will make me that little bit more complete, a little bit more pleasing and that little bit more loved. But occasionally, for a fleeting moment, I feel like now really is all there is, that I really am enough and if I look inside rather than outside, I find all the love is there. It's the time we spend today that counts tomorrow, even if that's spent resting or talking to that friend. As Dr. Edith Eager says, love is a four-letter word spelled T-I-M-E. It's the most precious gift we can give ourselves, each other and the environments we inhabit. It brings us closer and in the end, That is all humans really want to be. Close. Maybe that's why we can end up pushing each other away when we can't get there. But I've recently been reminded through one of the more positive attributes of social media that even though we've not seen each other, we are all still here. We are still connected. As the poet and philosopher David White wrote in his short lyrical essay, Close, Close is what we almost always are, close to happiness, close to another, close to leaving, close to tears, close to God, close to losing faith, close to being done, close to saying something or close to success and even with the greatest sense of satisfaction, close to giving the whole thing up. Our human essence lies not in arrival but in almost there. We are creatures who are on the way, our journey a series of impending anticipated arrivals. We live by unconsciously measuring the inverse distances of our proximity, an intimacy calibrated by the vulnerability we feel in giving up our sense of separation. To go beyond our normal identities and become closer than close is to lose our sense of self in temporary joy, a form of arrival that only opens us to deeper forms of intimacy that blur our fixed, controlling, surface identity. To consciously become close is a courageous form of unilateral disarmament, a chancing of our arm and our love, a willingness to hazard our affections, and an unconscious declaration that we might be equal to the inevitable loss that the vulnerability of being close will bring. Human beings do not find their essence through fulfilment or eventual arrival, but by staying close to the way they like to travel, to the way they hold the conversation between the ground on which they stand and the horizon to which they go. What makes the rainbow beautiful is not the pot of gold at its end, but the arc of its journey between here and there, between now and then, between where we are now and where we want to go. Illustrated above our unconscious heads in primary colour. We are, in effect, always close. Always close to the ultimate secret. That we are more real in our simple wish to find a way than any destination we could reach. The step between not understanding that and understanding that is as close as we get to happiness. Thank you for listening to the Balanced Garden podcast, which is written and produced by me, Tiger Lily Raphael, and co produced by me, Jasmine Pradhan. Thank you to our guests. You can find pictures of them and links to everything featured in this episode, as always, in the blogcast at balancegarden.co.uk, including the soundtrack, Yes Mike, from the Manassa Meets Praise LP produced by my father Nick Manasseh and licensed by Roots Garden Records. I hope you found this month's podcast helpful and if you'd like to, you can support it while supporting yourself with online yoga classes or through our Patreon page. I'll be back next month, so until then, live well and enjoy. Balanced Garden is a well-living space that bridges the world inside and outside. We offer seasonal reflections, recipes and practices through a podcast, blog, yoga and meditation to support healthy relationships with our bodies, minds, each other, nature and all the spaces in between.